Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. For more resources and information about Cedar Valley, please visit cvchurch.org. Genesis chapter 22. Open your Bibles, Genesis chapter 22. Got into Genesis chapter 2. And I'll always say this. If you don't have a paper Bible, because I know uh, digital Bibles are real popular. I love paper Bibles because you can mark in it and write in it and highlight and do all that kind of stuff. And so if you want one, they're, in the ta- uh, they're on the tables in the lobby. You don't need to buy one. You just take one. You just need to be careful there that we have English and in Spanish. And so make sure that you get the right language. If you have that, would you stand to your feet when you get it? Genesis chapter 22. And again, for new folks, I always tell them this. Hey, we won't up down the whole morning. Uh, this is a tradition that we do. This is something that we do. It's all it is is a tradition. If you go to church and they don't do this, it's not wrong. This is just what we do. But it's a physical reminder for us that this is God now. God is speaking to the people at Cedar Valley right now. He's got something to say to us. So I'm in Genesis chapter 22 and verses, starting in verse 1. And it says this. Sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied, here I am. Verse 2, take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. Let's pray. So Holy Spirit, the question now is, what, what are you wanting to say to us? And I pray that you give us ears to hear. God, we acknowledge your greatness that you are the almighty, all-powerful one. We acknowledge your sovereignty, that you are in complete control, that you are the holy one. And so now, Lord, we've, we've come to worship. And in the midst of that, we say, what are you saying to us? And I always ask, God, would you speak to each of us individually, right where we're at, would you speak to us this morning? And do it in a way, God, that only draws us to you and into your likeness, into the likeness of your son. So give us ears now, we pray, Father. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You guys can have a seat. So obviously, if, if, if you've been around, but you know that we're in the middle of a series. And today is the last day. We've been seven weeks. Today is the seventh week. We'll start a whole new series tomorrow, uh, next Sunday. And we've called this uh, Lead the Way. That's our, that's our vision for the year. And it's what I believe God's put on my heart for the church. It's what we're laying out for this next year. And again, I'll go back to the story just to remind us all that what God really put on my heart, what I got, thought what God was, was really put on my heart for our church this year uh, came out of 1 Samuel 17. And as I, I was reading and praying about it, and again, it's the old story of David and Goliath. And I've, I think I've said this before, but as you continue to read through the scriptures, God just continues to, to give you something. And oftentimes it's rele- relevant to what you're in the midst of. And I saw the story of David and Goliath and the Philistines and the Israelites, they line up every day. They line up, they're going to do battle. And they just line up against uh, uh, facing each other. They're each kind of on this mountainside and there's this valley in between them. And every day this giant comes out. His name is Goliath. And the giant is is intimidating. He's huge. Uh, The the commentators and the theologians estimate that between his his, uh, materials, his his, his weapons, and the armor that he was wearing could have weighed as much as 150 pounds. This guy's big enough to handle that and fight. And he steps out every, every day, and this time he comes out again, and he challenges all the Israelites. 
And again, very oftentimes in warfare at that time, what they did is your champion is going to fight our champion and it's winner take all. And everybody's afraid of Goliath because he's huge and he comes out and he's yelling at them. And, and David had been with his father because the brothers are all out doing war and David's with his father and David's father, Jesse, says, hey, David, I want you to take this food. Your brothers are out doing war. I want you, I want you to take the food to them. And so David does. He goes out to them and he, he brings them food. And just as David gets there, Goliath stands up and he yells, Right? And everybody quakes and everybody shakes and they're hiding under rocks and some folks run. And David thought to himself, what is going on here? This is the nation. We're, the, we're, we're God's people. This is God's army. Why are these folks running? Why are these soldiers scared? And one of the soldiers kind of clues him in about Goliath and what he does. And David said, you're kidding me. And this young boy, David, a young shepherd boy. And remember this, shepherds were really looked down upon. Shepherds were smelly, and we, we kind of romanticized the idea at Christmas. They were smelly, and they were looked down upon. And David says, uh-uh, that's not happening. I will fight him. And what David was saying, in essence, was nobody else wants to, nobody else wants to face the ugly giant, the scary giant. I'll fight him. And I really felt God put it on my heart that a lot of what's going on in the culture today, what's happened to God's people, God's people have just come, become mysteriously silent and I don't think we need to make large political fights. And I, I, I'm saying there's a place for political activism. Right? I, I get that. But I don't think that's what necessarily God has for his people. He wants God's people to be God's people and to act like God's people and to be seen as God's people in the world today. And David goes to war, and you know this. He takes a rock, whoosh, 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 zoom, lets it fly, pow, hits him right in the head, drops the giant. And what's so interesting, and this is how I see God's people, that when someone leads the way, which I think is what God is calling our church to do in a variety of ways, look at what the text says next from, Genesis, from 1 Samuel 17. After he drops the giant, after he says, I'll lead the way, after he behaves as God's people, then the men of Israel and Judah, all the Israelite men, all these soldiers, they gave a great shout of triumph, and now they rush after the Philistines. Now they'll do battle with the Philistines, chasing them as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron. And that's what I think is, I think the tragedy is we become too silent and too passive, and we're just letting things go in the culture, like, nah, well, what are you going to do? And God's like, be my people, that's what I want you to do. And so we've been talking about that, that this year we really feel like God is calling us to lead the way. And we've talked about all the ways that we're going to be doing that this year. We've talked about our, our church in Brazil, our sister church in Brazil, Pastor Andrew Vargas and his wife, Julie, and we're helping fund them because we want people there to hear about the word of God. And we're funding the church that's in Seattle, the table, a church very, very similar to ours, only it's a plant. It's brand new. They're just getting going. And we're funding them because we think people in that region of Seattle need to know about Jesus. Right? We've talked about the church in Brooklyn Center that we're helping to launch. Right? That, that there's a church that's just going to get started. And they have a very much the similar heart that we have. We want to be a multi-ethnic, multi-generational church. And they're doing the same thing. But they're just getting started and they really need help. And we're going to help fund them. We talked about things that we're going to do here in our own city with Life Center downtown. ICCM, it used to be. It's Life Center now. And the powerful ministry that they have there in the Phillips neighborhood in particular. We think people there need to hear about Jesus. And then we talked about things that we're going to do right here in Bloomington. Like as we feed people with Feeding the Hood, the types of things that we have going. If you didn't pick this up, by the way, you should have picked this up. And this book is out in the, out in the lobby. But it's all the projects that we're taking on this year. And then, and then we talked about 
what we feel is the need for a Christian school in our community, a Christ-centered school, which is going to raise young children and teach them how to lead the way in all matters of faith and culture. How many of you know that ain't free? I'm the only one who knows it's not free. Okay, good. That's good to know. But that stuff isn't free. But, but we think it's important. And so all of those things, and we said at the end of the day that the sticker price for this year is going to be $6.1 million. And I, and I get ill just saying that. You know, it's, it's almost 20% bigger than anything we've ever done. And where is that going to come from? Well, God's going to provide, but he's going to use us to do it. And so we're, this is all that we're taking on this year. We think it's a big deal. We think it's a great challenge. But we know that when God gets behind it, anything can happen. And so we've talked about this in this whole series. We talked about how there's a legacy to leave. And we said it's not a legacy like how much money are you going to leave? What kind of building? What kind of structure are you going to leave? It's nothing like that. We said that the legacy we want to leave as a church is a yes, God legacy. Right? That we want to live yes, God lives and leave a yes, God legacy. That what God calls us to, we're in. That's what we're doing, God. If you've called us to it, we're in. And then we talked about how the fact that this is going to take trust. Like, not, not, not like theoretical trust. And we talked about that. Remember the guy who has the wheelbarrow and he, 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 he rolls it over at Niagara Falls? He can roll a wheelbarrow. And then he said, he asked the whole crowd, who thinks I could do this with a person in the wheelbarrow? And everybody cheered, yes, you can. And then he said, who's getting in the wheelbarrow? And they said, no, we're not. Right? And that's what real trust is, is when you actually place yourself in the wheelbarrow. We talked about the fact that we've got to honor God. If this is going to happen, we've got to honor God. And we said this. We honor God when we give God what is due God, right? We honor God when we give God what is due God. Whatever he calls us, our time, our talents, and yes, our treasures. And then last week we talked about that this is going to be a transforming. This is going to take transformation. And I'll say this again, man, $6 million, $6.1 million is our goal. But I'll tell you what the real goal is. The real goal is that you and I are transformed in the likeness of Christ. And if we're transformed and we come up with $5 million, God's going to take care of this. And if we come up with 8 to $10 million and none of us are transformed, then it was all a waste. And so it's going to be out transformed. Today we're actually going to talk about perhaps the hardest one of all of these. Because today we're going to talk about surrender. We're going to talk about surrender. Now, if you're not a church folk, if you don't normally go to church, if you're visiting, by the way, first-timers, if you're a guest this morning, Welcome. We love having you. If you're online, by the way, online viewers, who's the online host this morning? Pastor Vicki is the online host this morning. And so if you're online this morning, you're viewing, just say hey to Pastor Vicki. Just dial in and say hey to her. But, but uh, this, is, this, is, this is really going to be the challenge. Because surrender is one of those words that church folks use a lot. We even sing it a lot. You know the song, I surrender all. You didn't recognize it the way I sang it? Okay. <laughs> All to Jesus, I surrender, I surrender. And we just sing it. Do we know what surrender is? Do we really surrender? Or is that just going to be another one of those church words that we use all the time, but we never really... Because here's the question. What do we do when we hold something near and dear and it's close and it's personal? And God says, I'm calling you to give that up. Ooh. That got a little painful. That's tough. I think this will be the hardest one for it. It'll be the, the hardest one for us. It'll be the, the most personal. It's going to be the most painful. 
And just FYI, there are going to be some things in here that I cannot explain to you. <laughs> There's just some things that I'm still scratching my head about. So let's look at our text this morning. It starts out like this. It says, sometime later, that's how our text started. Now, just for, for context, so you all know where we're at in the story, right? This is a story now about Abram. And he started out as Abram, not Abraham. He started out as Abram. And he lived down in Ur of the Chaldeans, which would be probably modern-day Iraq. And he lived there with his father, Terah. He lived there with his own wife, Sarai, was her name at the time, and with his nephew, Lot. And God told Terah, not God told Terah, but Terah decided he was going to move, and he was going to go all the way across to the promised land to Canaan at the time. But the problem was you didn't just go through the desert or you'd all die. So he goes up to a place called Haran. Haran today is where Syria is. And while they were up there, after they'd been up there a few years, now God reveals himself to Abraham. Abraham, we said, worshipped the moon God. He didn't worship God, but God revealed himself to Abram, and he called him down into the land, and Abram went, and he was obedient. Okay, when he went down there, he was about 75 years old. He's about 75 years old. Now, just, just again for context, remember this, lifespans were different then. We don't have all the scientific answers as to why, but lifespans were different, and Abraham lived to be about 175, okay? How many of you are just wishing, like, I don't want that to happen to me? How many of you are just thinking, right? And so now he's 75, and, and at that time, God had made him a promise. I'm going to make you into a great nation. He'd already told him that. I'll make you into a great nation. And Abraham still doesn't have any children. And then Abraham lived in the land. He lived in the land, and God continues to make him promises. Okay, sometime later, he had a son. That son is now about 12 years old, now sometime later in this story. So do the math. He's about 112 years old now. Abram's about 112 years old. His name has now been changed to Abraham, which means ex uh, father of many nations. Abram means exalted father, father of many. Abraham means father of many nations. It's even more. And it says sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Just circle that word in your Bible. You better circle that word. And you need to know that going into this story. You, just for context, you need to know this. God here is testing Abraham. And we know that at the beginning of the story. We know that God's testing him, right? Abraham doesn't know that yet. But it's very important, and we'll come back and point that out again. But God is testing Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called. Now, some of you know this story. You know what's about to happen. And it's like if you've ever watched anything scary on TV and then you see it a second time and now you know what scary thing is going to happen and you know when the creepy guy comes and knocks on their door and you're the person who watches the TV and you're like, do not answer. Don't answer. Have you ever done that? Right? You know what's coming. Don't answer. And I read this story and I think God's going to test Abraham's faith and he calls out to Abraham and I'm thinking, Abraham, do not respond. Do not respond. But the passage goes on and says, Abraham says, yes, Lord, here I am. He just speaks right up. Yes, God, here I am. I'm here. What is it you want? Now watch what God says. He says, take your son. Which son? Your only son. Really, Isaac? Yes, Isaac. Oh, P.S., the one you love so much. Like God cannot be any clearer about exactly what he's calling or who he's calling him to, to, to go with, right? Your son. Which son? Your only son. You, Isaac? Yes, Isaac. Oh, P.S., the one you love so much. And then he says this, and go to the land of Moriah. Now, if you're new to the story, you're like, oh, a day trip. This is going to be pleasant. Now, just buckle up. And then he goes on and he says this, go and sacrifice? Sacrifice your son? Sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I'll show you. Now, if you're not a church folk, if you're new to church, 
You see that God is calling him to sacrifice his son, and you scratch your head, and you go, what is going on here? On the other hand, if you're a church folk, you're scratching your head, and you're saying, what's going on here? I can't fully explain this to you, but let me just give you a, a couple things to, to, to think about. Number one, remembering this from the very beginning, this is why it's so important. You have to remember that God is testing He's testing Abram. God already knows what he's going to do. But I would also say this, that sacrifice in the ancient Near East is not an odd thought. That a lot of the Canaanites practiced child sacrifice. They, they practiced that. A lot of the Canaanites did. We know that the Moabites sacrificed their children to the gods. And it was a way of saying, God, bless me. God, bless me. God, I honor you above everything else. It was a common practice, and they would sacrifice their children to Molech, or they would sacrifice their children to Baal. As hard as a pill as this is for us to swallow, when Abraham hears him, God say, go sacrifice your child, as repulsive as it is today, it wasn't a crazy thought. It wasn't a crazy thought. And then it goes on, and it says, he says, the next morning, Abraham gets up, and he saddles his donkey, and he takes with him two of his servants, along with his son Isaac. And you read this, and you're starting to think, is he, is he going to do this? The text goes on. and says, then he chops wood for a fire for a burnt offering. He's going through with it. Abraham's, he's doing this. He's thinking he's going to actually, again, as repulsive as this is to us, he's actually going to go through it, and he's going to sacrifice his son. And he set out for the place that God had told him about. Now, this language is interesting because as it follows up, it says, he says to the servants, you stay here with the donkey. He says that to the servants, you stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will travel a little further. In other words, they're going up to the mountaintop, and that's where he's going to sacrifice his son. Now, I don't think Isaac knows it at this point. Uh, one of the things that's interesting to talk about is where in the story does Isaac start to figure this out? that he's the sacrifice. But watch the language that he uses next. He says, we will worship, the both of us, and then we will come right back. Notice the pronouns, they're both plural. And you start to see the mindset of Abraham. He knows he's going up there to sacrifice his son. He fully expects that God is gonna intervene. And one of the reasons why the scripture is gonna tell us, now look at the writer of Hebrews, because if you want commentary on this, you can look into the New Testament and look at the writer from the book of Hebrews, and he says this, oh, here's how he did it. Here's how he managed to go ahead with it, because it was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. It was by faith he believed in what God had already said. Further, it says, Abraham, who had received God's promises. Well, what were the promises that Abraham had received? Well, number one, I'm going to make you into a great nation. And then later he changed his name in the transformation project process and he said, you're not going to be the father of many, you're going to be the father of many nations. And we said this again last week, is that true? Yes. He's the father of all Israelites, of all Jews, he's the father. But ask any Arab on the planet that's ever lived and say, who's your father? And every Arab will say, Abraham. Because Abraham is their father through his son Ishmael, through Hagar the handmaid. Right? So he has become today the father of many nations, and he knows that God has already told him that, even though he hasn't seen it come to fruition yet. But then it says this, Abraham had received God's promises, was ready, he was ready, he was willing to sacrifice his only son Isaac, even though 
God had told him Isaac is the son through whom your, your descendants will be counted. He knew something in his head. This is faith. This is surrender. He's willing to do whatever God has asked him. And then finally, the, the writer of Hebrews says, Adam, Abraham re- reasoned that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. And in a sense, the writer tells us, Abraham did receive his son back from the dead. It's a crazy story. It's one that I can't just make easy sense of because, again, human sacrifice to us is so repulsive. But it was by faith. And out of his faith, he completely surrendered. So the writer goes on and he said, Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders while he himself carried the fire and the knife. Now, this is really interesting because you can't help but see some of the symbolism here. You can't help for us living where we're living today. This is, which son is this? Oh, it's his only son. Oh, it's his dearly beloved son. Notice who's carrying the wood. The only beloved son is carrying the wood. Are are you seeing the the symbolism here? I mean, it's just really interesting. Christ carried his own cross, the beloved son. Now, at one point then, Abraham, and, and again, I say, I don't know exactly when Isaac knew all this, but at one point, Abraham, who's now about 112 years old, 113 year old, he ties this 12 year old down to the altar. He ties him down. He's going through with it. God hasn't stopped it yet. And at one point, he gets up on top of him with a knife, and he's about to execute his own son. It's a li- this is a little hard for me to wrap my brain around. How is he doing this? But then something happens. Watch this. It tells us, at that moment, at that moment was Abraham was on top of him. It says, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven. Abraham, Abraham. Yes, Abraham replied, here I am. Have we heard this before? Earlier in the story, he says, here I am. The angel continued to speak. Don't lay a hand on the boy, the angel said. Don't hurt him in any way, for now I know that you truly fear God. You've not withheld from me even, even your own son, even the thing that's most important to you, even the thing that you hold dearly, even the thing you've been waiting for all these years, the thing that you're just so grateful for. You weren't even willing to withhold that. Now, this language up here is really interesting to me. It says, for now I know. <clears throat> we talk about in the scriptures that God is omniscient, that God knows everything. What do you mean now you know? You didn't, you didn't know that earlier? God, God doesn't know everything that happened. God even knows every possibility of everything that could happen. The better understanding here for now I know is now it is known. Now it is known. Now, let me explain to you how this can change things for you and I just a little bit. Uh, when I was a kid... Uh, during the summer, we had a babysitter. It was called the city pool. Did any of you have the same babysitter? It was called the city pool in our neighborhood, and it was only about five, six blocks from our house. And so the pool opened at 1 o'clock, I think is right. It cost us 35 cents. And so as fifth grader, sixth grader, we pay our 35 cents. We're into the pool, and then we just play games all day. From 1 o'clock till about 4 o'clock, we play game, 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 game. At 4 o'clock, we'd uh, leave. We'd get our hand stamped. We'd go home and have supper, and then our parents would send us back to the babysitter, you know, and we'd be there till about 8 o'clock at night. And so when you're at the pool all day, you play all kinds of crazy games, right? How many of you played Marco Polo? Do you remember that? You played Marco Polo. You played all the silly games at the pool. But in the deep end, there were three diving boards. Did you have this? We had these two boards down here, the low ones. No, no big deal. And then in the middle, you remember this? Yeah, you had the high dive. 
And so I remember as a little kid, man, that high dive was so enticing. It just looked so enticing. And I was so excited. I saw the big kids because the big kids jumped off there. And I'm like, man, those kids are cool. Those kids are cool. And so one day I finally got the nerve and I thought, I'm going off the high dive. And so, you know, there's a line. There's a line at all the boards. There's a line to get on the high dive. And kids are all lined up. And then, and then you go up the ladder and kids are waiting on the ladder, waiting on the ladder. So I get up the ladder and I go to the top. And then you kind of just start inching your way out toward the edge. And then finally you kind of stand at the end and you look down. And I thought, that is not happening. And I turned around and I walked back. And I was embarrassed because all the kids are on the ladder and they're all in line. And the lifeguard has to yell at them and he blows his whistle and all the kids have to get off the ladder. And I had to come down the ladder. I just couldn't do it. And I, and I was just embarrassed. And I was like, oh man, I'm a chicken, I'm a chicken, I'm a chicken. And then shortly thereafter, a few days later, I went up the ladder. I thought, man, I got to do it this time. I got to do it this time. I got to do it this time. And I walk out, and you stand at the edge, and I'm going. And I just jump, and I jump. And do you remember if you've ever done anything like that? Do you remember how exciting that was and how exhilarating? I'm like, man, I'm not a chicken. I'm the coolest kid at the pool now. And I, you know what I mean? Like, you, you just feel, you feel that. You're just like, but here's the thing. You never get to feel that. You never get to experience that. You, you never do that unless you actually jump. And so now, now it is known, and I think it was known by Abraham. And now Abraham knows, man, I'm a follower of God. I, I follow God no matter what, even if it's going to cost me. Now, God didn't, God didn't ask him to surrender his son, but it changes Abraham. It changes us. When, when we're willing to surrender, it changes us. Now we know. No, no, no. It's not theoretical anymore. It's not theoretical. I'm a follower of Christ. I, I'm in. And it, and it does something to us. Even your son, even whatever is most important to you, man, even, even when you're willing to give up what is most precious to you, it changes us. Because now we know, we're, we're convinced, there's, there's no question, there's no question, we know it for sure. This is, this is something just for you to tuck away, but this is, surrender doesn't do so much tell God about us, it tells us about us. God already knows. God, God knows everything we're going to do, God, God knows. But what do we now understand about ourselves? No, 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 I'm a follower of Jesus. Even in some of the most challenging times, I jump off the board. I jump off the board. That's what I do because I'm a follower of Jesus. So Abraham looks up and he sees a ram caught by its horns in a thicket. And so he takes the ram and sacrifices it as a burnt offering in place of his son. And again, the symbolism here is hard to avoid. First of all, a ram is a male lamb. So he takes this lamb that happens to be a man, and that lamb becomes the sacrifice. Now, I think I've said this in here, we were talking about it before, let me just tell you this. Rams don't get caught in thickets, and not a chance. They are too powerful. If they're, if they're just some thorns, no, they're busting out of that. What we know is this, that ram had to offer himself. He was there in the thicket, but he's essentially sacrificing himself. And again, the symbolism is so powerful because Jesus said, nobody takes my life from me, I willingly lay it down. Right, that, that's what just happened. I mean, the symbolism is hard for me not to see. And so he took the ram and he sacrificed it as a burnt offering in place of his son. 
I like this. Then Abraham names the place Yahweh Jireh. It's very similar, very akin to what we oftentimes call Jehovah Jireh. God is the provider. God is the provider. It means God will provide. To this day, people still use that name as a proverb. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. And it changed Abraham. It changed Abraham because of his willingness to surrender. Man, he knows it now. He, he, he absolutely gets this. It's, it's not theoretical anymore. I just think in our culture, man, we're so comfortable. We're so comfortable that so much of the Christian life is theoretical for us. Because we don't have to really, you know. We can kind of go to church and be comfortable. And then we can kind of go home and be comfortable. Like, when are we called the real sacrifice? It's really interesting to me. Let me, let me kind of give you the big so what but this morning, if you knew, we try to have a thought at the end. So you're like, well, he blabbed a lot. What was he saying? Where God guides, he always provides. If God is guiding you, God will always provide. This whole thing for Kimmy and I has been really interesting as we've talked about uh, what are we going to give? What, what, what are we going to do this year? What are we going to commit? And we, we didn't finalize it until last night. <laughs> right? And she, you've hit me more than once. I would say you hit me. No. <laughs> We, we, we've, we've talked about it. We've prayed about it. We've talked about it. And even last night, to be honest, when we finally came up with our number, and, and I, don't, I won't give you the number. I'm just saying for us, it's the largest number we've ever given. I was like, hmm, that's going to be interesting. Like, I was a little nervous. I was a little nervous. We, we wrote it. We came to our final number. Okay. All right. Okay. And we talked about a little, hey, God's going to provide. God's going to reveal himself. God's going to show us, you know. I think it's important for me always. I, 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 I'm not the leader of this church. I'm the lead follower. And so I think, I think we have to lead in that way. But I'm just saying it's still a little, it's a little, ooh, really? Okay, all right, okay. I, I think, man, where God guides, he's always going to provide. The scripture goes on and it says this, then, just, you got to catch this. You, you just got to catch this. And this is, we've talked about this. This is our God. Because I think our God is so, he's just so good. And so, yeah, I would say this, where God guides, he provides. But I want you to see this principle. Then there's more to this story. Then it says, the angel of the Lord called again to Abraham from the heaven. He says, this is what the Lord says, because, this is a cause and effect thing, right? Because you obeyed me, because you obeyed me, because you have not withheld even your own son. In other words, the thing that is most precious to you, like that thing that's like, ooh, even that, you didn't even hold that. Because you didn't even withhold that. He says, because of that, I swear by name that I will certainly bless you. Now, here's one of those things, right? If you stand at the top of the board and you never jump into the water, you'll never get to experience it. You'll never get to know what that's like. You, you'll be safe. You'll be safe. You didn't splat on the water, but you'll never get to experience the real blessings of God. We don't give to God because he blesses us, but it's what he does. His scripture says it over and over. He says, I'll multiply your descendants beyond number. Like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore, your descendants will conquer the cities of their enemies. He goes on and he says, and through your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. All because you obey me. We talked about this in Legacy. Are we blessed because of Abraham? Oh, you bet. Because Abraham had Isaac. 
Isaac had Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons. One of his sons was Judah. Judah became the head of the tribe of Judah. And out of the tribe of Judah came the Lion of Judah, Jesus Christ. And followers of Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus today, you're followers of Jesus because someone was willing to surrender. They were more than willing to surrender, and they showed it. And so I would actually change the big so what just a little bit. And I've gotten permission from our elder board. We can change it in the middle of the service, just so you know. <laughs> Where God guides, he more than provides. God actually blesses. We experience the blessings of God. But we don't get to experience the blessings if we don't jump off the board, if we just keep playing it safe. So now we've talked about this a ton. We've talked about it for seven weeks, right? That our goal for the year is 6.1 million. It's a bigger goal than we've ever had, and it's going to take more from everybody. It's going to take more from everybody. We want everybody to be a part of this. And we've talked about this. We've talked about kind of how giving is a journey. We've talked about how interesting it is that you come to the church, and maybe you're a foul mouth. I was a foul mouth kid, and, and slowly over time, your mouth gets cleaned up a little bit, you know? But when you come to the church, we automatically just go, oh, no, no, you, you have to instantly give 10%. Man, some of, you, some of you, that's such a foreign thought. And we have grace for that. We said giving is a journey. So anybody who walks into the building is a potential giver. Over time, people become kind of what we call emerging givers, where the bucket goes by and they go, hey, you got a 10, you got a 20, yeah, let's drop that in. After that, you kind of become a regular giver. I'm praying this is a year that some folks become what we call regular consistent givers, where you say, you know what? This is what we do monthly, come rain or come shine. And maybe it's a percentage. And maybe you said, you know, we're going to do 3% this year. Maybe you've done 3%. You go, we're going to do 5% this year. But it's a journey. God has grace for that. Just continue to grow in your journey wherever you're at. Would you take the next step? And then some of you over time have become tithers. You become actual tithers. Your friends look at you and they're like, you're crazy. 10%? 10%? Like, yeah, but when you jump off the board, you get to experience the blessings. And then beyond that, we have what we call extravagant givers. And some of you have been doing that. You've tithed all along the way. And then you said, hey, we've done the kingdom builders in the past, right? Where you said, I'm giving this above and beyond because we're going to support missions. Just a reminder, we've, we've broken that down and we've simplified it. So for us now, what we do is we have our tithe and then we have our additional amount that we would normally do to kingdom builders. And then we want to do something a little extra. But when you fill out your faith goal cards, it's one number. And what we're asking you as a church is, would you trust us? I'm telling you what, our board are godly men and women. And I've watched them agonize and pray over decisions like this of how we spend money. Our staff, we're in the process of agonizing right now, right, over, man, where, where are we going to spend the money? And we pray about it and we, and we agonize over it. And so we're saying, would you trust us? We put it into one fund, and that fund will support all hundred of our missionaries. It'll support all of our missions projects. It'll support the church in Brazil. It'll support the church in Seattle and all the other programs that were listed in our booklet. And so this year, would, would, you, would you just stretch just a little? That's what we're asking, right? And then we've said this. This is the key to it. You pray about it. We've asked you to pray for the last six weeks. And then you start to plan. And then you dream. Like, it's not just a purely a fiscal thing. Like, it's just a number. No, no. What if God got involved? What if God began to provide? What if God were doing this? What if, what if God became a part of your plan? What could you do then? And what would he have you give? And then today we're asking you, you've got these cards on your, 
on your bulletins this morning, right? And uh, on the bottom of it says, my faith goal is. So we're going to do that here at the end of the service. So I'm going to ask our ushers. They're going to come down, and they're going to put buckets right at the front. They're going to put buckets right at the front. And I've asked you to be praying about this. I've said this. If you're single, I wanted you to pray, plan, and dream. If you're married, you can bring it right on up. If you're, if you're married, you need to pray, plan, and dream, and you need to be praying with your spouse, talking to your spouse, because one of you can't make this decision. And then our ushers will have extras of these cards. And so if you didn't grab a bulletin, if you didn't have one, just, just let an usher know. They'll get you one of these. But I'm going to pray for us. And then what we're going to do is we're just going to take our time. We're going to worship for a while. You're going to have time. And I'm asking you, as you're ready, would you just bring your card up? And would you drop in the bucket? Now, balcony folks, if you would just hop over the rail. No, don't hop over the rail. <laughs> we didn't put them up there, so I apologize. Take your time. Just take your time. When you're ready, you're going to have to come all the way down. <laughs> Sorry about that. You'll come all the way down, and you'll just drop in the bucket. And uh, we're going to see what God's going to do. You might be here today, and you're like, oh, man, I didn't. Okay, okay. Take your time. Take your time. If you want to turn it in next week, you, you, you just let God speak to you on that. But I'm going to pray, and then JJ and his team are going to come, and we're going to worship, and you'll bring those up when you're ready. Father, thank you for this morning. God, thank you for your goodness. We acknowledge you are an awesome God. And God, we see you doing great things in this community and around the world so that people would know the name of Jesus. People would call on the name of Jesus. People would proclaim the name of Jesus. People would enter your kingdom because of what we're about to do here. And so God, this is your work. This isn't the pleading of men. This isn't the begging of men. God, this is your work to do in our hearts. And God, I pray that you begin to bless immediately, that you begin to bless, that there'll be great testimonies and great stories of how folks took scary steps, but then we're blessed by the God of heaven. Would you do that? So now, God, you be honored. You be glorified. You do all the work here, Father. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.